0: Wow! Good morning, everybody. Here we are, our fourth, our final week. I said, I said to whoever's speaking next week, I said, "I've set you up. You can get up here and go." Mary had a little lamb, and everybody's like, "Oh, praise God, Amen!" Can we have a hallelujah? Uh, It's our fourth week together. We've been covering an awful lot of ground. We've been talking about our country. We've been talking about the election. Really, we haven't. We've been talking about everything Jeff just said. It just happens to be that there's been an election. It just happens to be there's been a change of presidency. Uh, We've been talking about heaven's perspective invading our story. And when you cover topics like that, inevitably, there's going to be questions. And questions are wonderful. I love questions. Questions are so good. Everything should be tested. Everything should be scrutinized. And so I wanted to create space for us this morning to have a question and answer time. I want to say a huge thank you to all of you who sent in questions. And I'll tell you right now, there is no way I can answer all of them. What I have done is I've taken um, a cross-section of the the most commonly represented questions. I'm going to try and cover those. In addition, because first service, we have typically less time than second service, I'm doing a subset of those questions. So if you like what you hear and you want more... Tune into the second service because I'm going to answer more questions than we've got time for in the first service. Does that make sense? One of the verses that we have repeatedly looked at, week by week by week, Luke 18, verse 18, consider carefully how you listen. And I've been preaching that to you guys. Well, this week I was preaching it to me. This was the verse that I had at the forefront of my mind the whole time Because there's a danger I'll be writing stories about your questions, right? Because I don't know the motive of the question asker. And I know from personal experience that sometimes I ask questions because I don't understand. But sometimes I ask questions just because I need clarification. But sometimes I ask questions because I want to win a fight, And see, I grew up in a house and in a culture that really valued intellectuality and winning. Winning arguments and debate. Here's what I've learned about winning. It cannot produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It only ever leads to haughtiness and pride which only ever leads to loneliness and isolation. And I can't actually think of a greater misuse of our intellect than to wage war against our brothers and sisters. So this morning, hand on heart, to the best of my ability, I am not coming here this morning to fight. I'm coming to serve. I come this morning as best I know how, in gentleness and meekness. And all I've got is some answers that I've found as I've spent time seeking the Lord this week in, in reading your questions. In so many ways, I'm utterly unqualified to answer your questions. Really, I do not have advanced degrees in political science or American history or constitutional law or even theology. But what I present to you this morning is my best thinking so far on the questions that you asked. Is coming, you know, it's coming some from my experience with the Lord, some from how I understand Scripture, and some you just asked for my personal opinion, and I'm going to give you where I think it might add value. The other reason I've been meditating on this verse is, I've been thinking about, what will my answers provoke? Will my answers to these questions help, or will they hinder? That's a nice introduction, Alan. Thanks for saying that. Well, Why do you say that? Well, I say that because a few times this morning, I'm going to stop And before I even answer the question, I'm going to deconstruct the question or rather offer commentary on some of the questions because I think these questions offer beautiful, and I mean that sincerely, illustrations of the stories we are all writing and the stories that we're all believing and how so often the questions we ask and in the way that we ask them reveals our efforts to keep our stories true. But here's the... Problem with that. I think there's genuine merit in doing that, but I'm also a little nervous about doing that. Because the question answer might think I'm picking holes with them or picking holes in their question, and I am not. These questions were admitted completely anonymously unless you wanted to add your name in the question field. I don't know who asked which question when. All I'm doing is I'm using your question to beautifully illustrate some of the stuff that we've talked about this week. Does that make sense? Are you ready? You excited? Yes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be together, to sit with one another, and to just talk about things that we're talking about anyway, but just to ask for heaven's perspective. Would you give me wisdom? Would you stretch time for us? Would you um, give me the, 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 the wit and the wisdom and the insight to be able to communicate your heart? In Jesus' name, Amen. So the four kind of main sections of questions, and like I said, there were so many overlaps in questions. Questions about America, questions about the prophetic words regarding Trump as president, questions that I've said like, oh, these are really good theological questions. And then we've got some questions about politics. Let's start with one of the most commonly asked question it was repeatedly asked and it was all about the seeming collision between America's founding and what we read last week in Romans 13 and I'm realizing we might only ever get this question answered and if we do it's a great one so many questions came in I picked this one it's representative of lots of the questions that came in said this how do you reconcile the revolutionary founding of our nation with the biblical mandate to honor our governing authorities Was the American Revolution against British rule out of line with this teaching? So much of our national heritage speaks of our God-given inalienable rights and calls America one nation under God. How can we be favored and blessed by God if our foundation was a rebellion that was against His will? What a great question. Now, before I even answer this question, let me use this question to illustrate everything I've been talking about The last three weeks. Pay attention to what's on the line depending on the answer I give. Do you see how much rich story, how much narrative can be found in the question and the way that it's asked? The very teaching of Romans 13 is potentially calling into question not not only our national identity, but our heritage. Again, that's not right or wrong, it's just us. And also understand, I'm writing a story about the person's story that I think they're telling me in their question. And like I said, we're doing it all the time. We can't help it, it's human and it's glorious. Look at the wording, how do you reconcile? That assumes we can. What if we can't? Look at the presenting evidence here in the middle of the question, as if to ensure that we can't possibly be found in rebellion. And also, look what's up for debate, favor, and blessing. This is such a beautiful example of a story being wrapped up in a question. And it's so human, and I love it. Let me start by answering this question backwards. First of all, being favored is the very definition of what happens when you don't deserve God's blessing. If it was earned, it wouldn't be favor. So irrespective of the answer I give to this question, let me be clear, the favor of God and our nation's blessing is secured by Christ and God's providence, not our nation's performance or our historical moral choices, praise God. For example, the scriptures clearly teach That God chose Jacob over Esau. Two nations in a belly. And he says, oh, I choose Jacob, which later turned into the nation of Israel. I I choose him to favour him before he's even born. And you might say, well, how is that fair? It's not. It's favour. And for the early parts of Jacob's life, he lived horribly. He was a cheat and he was a swindler and he still got blessed. Why? Why? Because God said, I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy on. So right at the beginning of this wonderful question, let's decouple our nation's favor and blessing from something inherent that we did as, our na- as a nation and actually attribute God's favor and his blessing to his kindness in his nature. Now, having done that, let's consider, does that make this question easier or harder to answer of course this is not a new question it is the question that all American seminary students have to wrestle with when they reach Romans 13 in fact it's the very text we give our year two students in SOSL and I love it because I let them fight I'm like okay Romans 13 let's read this hey guys, how do you, you know, reconcile the uh, revolutionary war, the founding of our nation with Romans 13? And then I just let them have it because we've got international students and American students and American students are super passionate. No, no, we weren't. This is God's divine right. And you know, people who are not in America are like, I don't think so. And I just stand back and watch it. And it's beautiful, but that's why I'm in therapy. The question <laughs> that you want to know seems way above my pay grade. So I did what every smart person does. I can, I can sell it even smarter people than me. And guess what I found? American theologians are divided on the topic. John F. MacArthur, he argues that we were in rebellion against the British government. And and declaring independence was contrary to the clear teachings and commands of Romans 13. He says this, the United States was actually born out of a violation of these New Testament principles. And any blessing that God has bestowed on Americans, or on America, I beg your pardon, have come in spite of that disobedience by the founding fathers. And at the time of the, um, the Revolutionary War, a number of Christians agreed with that position. But clearly, other Christians disagreed with that thinking. The reason that a number of the colonists thought that they were justified to rebel against the British monarchy is from this thinking, that it's morally right for a lower government official to protect the citizens in his care from a higher government official. And that thinking, if you care, goes as far back as Calvin. It's really, really clear from reading the Declaration of Independence, which I did this week, uh, that the leaders who founded the United States and declared its independence from Great Britain really thought of themselves as doing something that was morally right and even necessary. And if you read the Declaration of Independence, actually contains a long list of statements and uh, grievances against England that it made it necessary to rebel. They're saying, hey, we tried this and this and this, and these are the complaints that we have. This is tyranny, and we're saying no more. We've tried all these other avenues, and it hasn't worked. On the other side, one of my favorite American theologians, uh, Wayne Grudem, he states this, my conclusion is that the Declaration of Independence like the American War of Independence, was morally justified and was actually necessary in order to free the people of the colonies from the tyranny under which they were suffering because of King George III of England. Well, that's great, Alan. We're so glad that you told us what one theologian thinks another. What do you think? Well, I don't know if I can give an educated answer because A, I've never been good at theoretical theological implications. And B, I'm so poorly educated in American history that I don't feel confident to know the motives of the people. And the outcome of that answer isn't something that keeps me awake. However, if you pushed me for an answer based on my reading of one week's worth of American history, I could actually argue it either way. But I'll tell you what I'm far more interested I'm far more interested in what people want to do with the answer to that question. For example, if we were rebellious at the start of our nation, what does that mean for us now? And if we weren't, what justification does that give us for today? But either way, I've joined a lot of you. So if it was rebellion, they're my sins too. I've married the land and good, bad and ugly. So we're in great company. Second category that we got lots of questions about was all about the prophetic and the prophetic words regarding the election. Let's start with with this question. It says this, when do we stop believing prophetic words? One big issue was all of the prophetic voices I trust and follow said President Trump would get reelected. So with rumors of corruption, many of us kept believing, hoping that it would be proven and the election would be overturned. Obviously there is the camp that says the prophets just got it wrong. But what about the camp that is saying they didn't get it wrong and we should keep standing? How do you stand on prophetic words in the face of defeat? I love this question. I'm really glad. Whoever asked this question, great question. I want to answer this question just two ways. One, I'm going to play a short clip of Chris Vallotton talking about this. Chris was one of the prophets who prophesied it, got it wrong. And he explains, A, how he got it wrong. And you've probably seen his apology video. But I also want to give you a little bit of personal insight from from me, for whatever that's worth. My personal opinion about the prophetic words that came out about Donald Trump being elected for a second term was that I had zero witness from the Holy Spirit. And I love what Pastor Jeff just shared. I recognized that me having zero witness from the Holy Spirit actually meant nothing. Like I didn't have a witness from the Holy Spirit that they were wrong and I didn't have a witness from the Holy Spirit that they were right. I really felt nothing. And all my petitions of heaven, and in fact, I spent time asking the Lord, obviously, Lord, you know, is there anything you wanna tell me about the next election? Who should I be voting for? What about these prophetic words? And I heard nothing. And in fact, the prophets I'm in relationship with and I speak to a lot, they too were saying nothing. They, they were silent. So I didn't know. I did not have a... Horse in the race, is that the phrase? Sure. Yeah, I, I, like, it's not that I didn't care. I just didn't know what was happening. And to be honest, I was like, it could totally happen because it happened before. And sure, why not? But I didn't know. And so it was fascinating when election night, which by the way, was the longest night of my life. It was more like an election week. When it happened and Biden got called, I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, I wonder how the prophets are gonna respond. And so I was thrilled that that morning, Chris posts on Instagram his, like, apology. And I was like, I love the mark of humility, the mark of wisdom. I love that I've seen Chris do that. But then the very next day, he took it down. I was like, sorry, that was premature. So I was like, oh, plot twist. Like, what's happening? And immediately, you might have noticed that the body of Christ in America had this kind of stop-start thing. Like, wait, the election got called and President Trump lost. But then there were rumors of voter fraud. And let's be honest, it would be so like God to do something last minute. Amen? No? You don't remember the Bible? Remember the, Joshua taking over Jericho? You know, for the first six days, the people of Jericho are like, you're adorable with your little horns and your you know, aerobics class. And on the seventh day, different perspective. So who knows? Maybe that was what was happening. And of course, God calls things that are not as as they are. So I watched some in the body of Christ hedging their bets, others saying the prophets are wrong, and others are saying just wait and see what God's going to do. But then, and this, by the way, this seems like so long ago, but then each of the state governors prepared official certificates, certifying that Biden won, that Trump lost. And on December 14th, I was like, well, I guess that settles that. But then again, so many people were like, no, 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 God's gonna come through. Just you wait and see. Just the other day, God came and visited me and he told me this and he told me that. Then it was time for the final tally at the Capitol. And do you remember there was rumors that um, some of the members of um, the House were gonna stand up and say, hey, no, no, no. Or potentially uh, um, Mike Pence was gonna stand up and he could overturn it. And then of course we had the riots. And we're all like, what is going on? And then finally, Biden was officially certified as president. Or so we thought, because people were like, no, 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 January 20th is coming. Just you wait and see. God's gonna come through. Biden's not gonna be inaugurated and Trump is. Some of these are the same prophets saying the same things. And January 20th came and went and guess what? Biden was sworn in as president. And at that point, as you heard me say, biblically, scripturally, the prophet said this would happen and it didn't. So biblically, they're wrong. So if you're asking me, when do we stop, you stop believing those prophetic words because they weren't prophetic words. Now, as to what happened, whether prophets or people were listening through an idol, whether they got caught up in what happened, whether they got carried along by their own story, I don't know. And it's not for me to judge, but it was spectacular on a global level. And I'm really fascinated to see what our prophetic community at large learns. I spent the last couple of days watching some brilliant podcasts. And this one, this was Chris Vallotton joining Randy Clark and his son, Josh. And they were talking about like what happened. And in this video, it's a two-minute video, Chris is talking about how he missed it. He's not speaking for all prophets. He's saying, this is what it was like for me. Now, for context's sake, because I'm just taking two minutes out of a larger video. He's saying, hey, uh, on a Sunday morning, I got up and I preached a word from God that I still feel is a word from God. And at the end, uh, I, I was talking about how the impeachment would, he would not be impeached, the first impeachment. And he said, and that came to, and at the end, he said this.
1: He'll ultimately fail and he'll still be president and he will win a second term. And that was really predicated on um, feeling like the way that Donald Trump became president was really... I think uh, historic and sovereign. In that, I don't think anybody, Republicans or Democrats, thought he'd be president when he when he uh, ran for office. And so, and I I felt like because of that that sovereignty, I think I just took it too far and thought, well, if it if weren't a sovereign moment, obviously it would mean that uh, that Trump would have a second term. So, yeah, that was my that was a big failure and. I've been, uh, you know, I've been in the political world for 15 years behind the scenes, um, and I think there's several people serving right now. I know uh, that I prophesied, and I, I'd say my my prophetic ministry is excellent, but it's not perfect. I've never had to apologize for a, pro- uh, a prophetic word in the political arena, and of course, some words are still in process, so you can't say you never missed it. Or also, I've given hundreds and hundreds of prophetic words, so. In uh, in five countries, so you don't know if some of those words came to pass. I'm not claiming to be perfect, but I am saying that um, you know when I I think humility is important. It's also important to not have false humility. So I you know I I would say uh, you know I I would say my track record is really really excellent, but again, it's not perfect. And when you miss it, um, I've written three books on prophetic ministry. And you know, we've, every, every book has talked about um, what to do when, um, when the prophecy doesn't happen. And so anyway, we can talk more about it. I'm sure we will. But that's kind of my, the genesis of that prophetic word.
0: not great? Appreciate Chris's humility and Chris's meekness in responding to that. It's a great podcast. I, I, I will link to that. I'm now looking at the time, and I will want to make sure I get one question from each section. And so let me just see what this question is. Um, yeah let me answer this is, a, this is a great question and an easy question to answer um, this question is while there are many scriptures as you have cited that clearly state that leaders are raised up by God and taken down by him is it not equally true that Satan and the principalities as well have governing authority and may also put a leader in place that is not God's choice Did Satan really have at his disposal the kingdoms to offer Jesus in his temptation? A great question. Thankfully, you threw me a question I could just answer from Scripture. No to both questions. No, Satan does not have authority to put a leader in place. That is not God's choice because Scripture is clear that it is God who does things. Now, can Satan influence or direct or tempt or lead rulers into error? Absolutely But God is still sovereign all over that Even if that happens One of the clearest examples that we see of this in scripture Is the ruler of one of the most occult nations in the world And one of the most occult leaders ever It's Pharaoh Remember the whole story about how Pharaoh's magicians Could replicate the signs and wonders By doing counterfeit signs and wonders Look at what the Lord told Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 13. He says this, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. This is hundreds of years before the people of Israel would ever be in Egypt by the way, Israel, whom they would all descend from, Jacob, hasn't even been born yet. And the Lord, demonstrating his sovereignty, is saying, this is going to happen. Look at what the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 17 said. He says this, for Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up. Who raised him up? The Lord did. I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. See, to the outside eye, it looked like, oh, the devil raised up Pharaoh. But the Lord was like, no, I did that. That was a hundred of years before it ever happened. I told my friend Abraham it was going to happen. So no, Satan has no authority over God's choice. Well, what about Matthew 4 verse 8, where the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, hey... All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Well, how do we reconcile that? We reconcile that by the fact that they weren't his to begin with to give. Because they were already Christ's. Remember our stewardship service? Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And also P.S. Satan is the father of lies. All right, so he lies about everything. All right. This, this last question is all about... Um, uh, like the the practical. And this is such a great question. I loved it so much. I loved that there was no guesswork in the storytelling. It was just like, here is my story. I am not a supporter of President Biden or his administration. I do, however, pray every day for our leaders to learn, understand, and follow kingdom principles, not earthly principles. I pray for the president in this way. I cannot simply pray for the president and vice president without limiting it to God's kingdom principles is this conditional prayer my workaround of the scriptural direction by the way I just love that your heart is like I think this is right but you know search me with God know my heart see if this I love that if any leader doesn't follow God's mandates how can I follow the leader's direction is this my get out of jail free card I love this question here's what I've been preaching, irrespective of who you and I voted for, we are still required by scripture to pray for our leaders. And when we read last week in 1 Timothy 2, where it says that we are to clearly pray for and offer thanksgiving for those who are in authority, when this person asked, like, am I okay limiting it to God's kingdom principles? That thrills me, because God's kingdom is full of goodness. You're not going to run out of things if you just stick to God's kingdom. Like it's it's vast, explore it. So my prayer might be, and this is a prayer I've prayed this week, Lord, I thank you for my leaders. I thank you for President Biden. I thank you for Vice President Harris. I thank you for Governor Lee as I lift them up today. You can pray for Republicans and Democrats at the same time. Okay, Nothing bad will happen. I thank you that you saw fit to put them in place. How can I pray that with confidence? Because Scripture tells me. I thank you that you have a plan for our nation. It's a plan to bless us and give us a hope and a future. Lord, I pray today that you would surround these leaders with godly wisdom. Because we want godly wisdom for our leaders, amen? With hope and energy and physical sustenance. We don't want burnt out, exhausted frail leaders who can't make decisions because they're physically exhausted. Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe, that you would protect those leaders. I ask that your wonderful Holy Spirit would work in them and those that work with them to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I ask that you'd bless them, bless their families, be good to them in the mighty name of Jesus. See, everything I prayed there was God's kingdom principle. So to the person who asked this question, no, it's not a get. No, it's not a get out of jail free card. It's a brilliant question. Absolutely pray for your leaders. Well, we, we did a drive-by. Like I picked one out of each of the four sections. Like I said, if you tune into to the second service, I'm gonna go in uh, to some additional questions in those sections. But what I did wanna do is I did want to, before we end, I wonder if we could stand and we could pray for our nation. I know we've talked a lot and talk is helpful, but it's not where the power is. It's prayer is where our power is. So could you stand with me? And no matter where we are, we can agree that God wants our best for our nation and that we're to pray for our leaders, amen? So let me pray for that and then we'll hand back to Michelle. Father, we stand as a body who are united in our love for Jesus. We may be uh, different in our thinking about politics and policies and people and preferences, but we come united because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, we lift up all our leaders today, all our government leaders, Lord, at the, uh, the, the the city, the county, our state and our national level. And we ask for your blessing on them. We pray for their families. We pray for heaven to be opened and for um, wisdom and revelation to fall from heaven. Lord, we pray for the protection of our nation. We pray that you would thwart the plans of the enemy, Lord. The, uh, any, any efforts, Lord, to cause disruption or uh, instability in our nation Lord that you would thwart that and we ask more than anything Lord that your son's name would be honored in what we do and in what we say and we ask all these things in his glorious name amen